Psalm 22, verses 1 to 11. For the director of music, to the tune of the Doe of the Morning, a Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there's no one to help. This is God's word. The most painted scene in all of human history is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. But in 1951, Salvador Dali managed to paint it from a perspective that it had never been painted from before. You see, every other painting, actually, of the cross almost always looks up from the human perspective at Christ above us on the cross. But Dali's famous painting looks down from the perspective of God the Father. It's a striking image. But what we have in Psalm 22 is something even more incredible. Not up or down, but in. In Psalm 22, we peer into the soul of Jesus Christ as he dies on the cross. Now, how can I say that? Psalm 22 was written, well, a thousand years before Jesus lived and died. But Jesus quotes the first verse of Psalm 22 as he dies on the cross in Mark 15, 34. And the remainder of the psalm, as we go through, you'll see, matches the detail of what happened to Jesus in his crucifixion with unerring detail. So much so that uh, Augustine wrote these words in his Good Friday sermon um, in AD 395. The passion, the suffering that is, of Christ is recounted in this psalm as clearly as in the gospel. Through this psalm, we are present witnessing the crucifixion. And so I think we're probably right to imagine Jesus praying his way through this psalm to sustain him as he hung on that cross and died for our sins. We're going to focus just on verses 1 to 21 because verses 22 to the end start to reflect on what comes beyond the cross, the victory, the resurrection, and that's best left for Easter Sunday. Firstly, let's look at verses 1 to 11 and witness the spiritual and emotional anguish. There's no introduction. We're simply plunged straight into the depths of despair. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, and I find no rest. Now, David knew a life of danger on the battlefield and on the run as a fugitive, but no event in his life comes close, actually, to what is recorded in this psalm. But what David writes poetically, Jesus experienced literally 
theologically. As I said in Mark 15, 34, as he hangs on the cross, he quotes verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Abandoned by God, cut off from God, cursed by God. To be God forsaken is to know total despair. For wherever God is, there is hope, no matter how bad the circumstances. He can, he can turn, well, he can turn the sea into a, a dry road to walk through. He can defeat giants with pebbles. He can breathe new life into a valley of dry bones. But if God turns his back, there is no hope. And so these first verses describe for us the ultimate spiritual torment of being abandoned by God. They describe for us hell. How do you respond when life becomes painful, discouraging or confusing? How do you respond when uh, heaven's door seems to be closed to you and God feels very distant and your prayers don't get through? Where Jesus turns his agony into prayer. And note the emphatic you in every line as he cries out to God in verses three to five. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Everything about his life right now screams, God has forgotten you. God doesn't care for you. God is not worth worshipping. But he has locked the word of God into his heart. And so he clings on to his faith, no matter the circumstances of his life. The second section moves from the spiritual torment of being cut off from God to the emotional torment of being mocked and derided by the crowds who watched. Verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. A worm is an utterly insignificant creature. I am has become, I am a worm. Verse 7, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. What a bitter irony. He's dying because he trusts in the Lord. It has always been the plan of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, since before human time, that God the Son would come as a man to take on the sins of man, to save men, women and children from our sins. By not being saved himself, he saves us. By being punished for sin, he takes our punishment. By dying, he brings us life. Verse 9. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. So do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. He cries out to God as the one who has always, always been his help and refuge. God feels very far off and trouble feels very, very near. But even when God feels absent, even when faith doesn't seem to work, even then still he trusts, he obeys, he prays. 
How is it possible though, that God's saviour king can be suffering God's curse? Well, Galatians 3 provides the answer in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. A couple of years ago, an Islamic terrorist launched an attack in rural France in Trèbes. And he ended up holed up in a supermarket with a couple of hostages. Now, the response, the French response, was organised by the head of uh, counter-terrorism, Lieutenant Colonel Arnaud Beltran. He was as safe as a man could be at that moment, surrounded by armed police and highly trained SWAT teams. But he decided to take off his protective gear, to give up his weapons, and to go into the supermarket and exchange himself for the hostage. He stepped out of safety and security to give his life, as it turned out, as he was killed, to save the life of one in danger. What an absolute hero as he died to save her. Now, at any moment on Good Friday, Jesus Christ could have cried out, Enough! And 10,000 legions of angels would have descended in fiery glory and the earth would have been consumed in a blaze and every sinful human being would have been destroyed and got what we deserve, eternal punishment cut off from God. He was well capable of saving himself, but he chose instead to step out of his security, to give up his safety and to die to save you and to save me. He absorbed our curse, our judgment, our hell. He bore it all so that he could save you. Let's pause to reflect and to pray. Psalm 22, verse 12. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me like a pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. This is God's word. Secondly, as we come back to Psalm 22, witness the overwhelming physical agony. We've had spiritual anguish and emotional torment in the first 11 verses. Now we get physical agony. Verse 12. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. Now, why does David turn to images from the natural world, from nature, to describe his attackers? I think that uh, David Attenborough has provided us with the answer for this. Whether it's uh, nature's great events or, or whatever documentary you look at, for all the breathtaking, worship-inducing beauty that we see, there is an utter savagery to the natural world. Whether it's a, a great white shark tearing apart a wounded seal, 
or a pride of lions picking off a, a young baby wildebeest staggering like Bambi, too young to run away, and they begin to eat it before it's even dead. Nature red and tooth and claw can be unbelievably savage. And Jesus was beaten and crucified with a savagery that was just animalistic. Most of the time we express our loathing for God in, in kind of polite middle class ways. We, we usher him to the edges of our lives or we ignore him or we still talk about him, but we replace the God of the Bible with ideas that are more palatable, more acceptable, more um, of the moment. But sometimes the mask slips. The well-known atheist writer Kingsley Amos was once asked, um, so you don't believe in God then? He replied, oh, it's more than that. I hate him. And the mask that sometimes slips a little was cast off entirely as Jesus died on the cross. Humanity expressed our furious hatred against the God who, who dares to say that just because he made us, he owns us. That just because he is perfect and the source of all love and life and beauty and goodness and truth, we should worship him. And with savage, vindictive cruelty, we sought to destroy him so that we could do what we wanted. And Jesus bore it all. As we reach the end of verse 14, his life is beginning to ebb away. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Did you notice the extraordinary word at the end of verse 15? You. You, God, you are the one who is sovereign in this. It, men may be attacking me, but it is only you, God, that had power over my life. Verse 16. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Words written hundreds of years before crucifixion had even been invented. Verse 17. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. It seems an odd detail to record, but the, the point is you, you don't start sharing out someone's possessions until they're dead. The soldiers at the foot of the cross, they gamble for Jesus' possessions because once you're on a cross, you are dead. Gone. Finished. And yet, and yet the voice of prayer has not yet been extinguished. The first section of the, of the psalm ends not with lament or a cry of despair, but with a prayer to God, a prayer of faith. There is something desperate about these final verses, but they are a prayer. Verses 19 to 21. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Staccato verbs cry out to God as the drowning head emerges above the surface and, and gasps with each breath. Help me, save me, deliver me, rescue me. Even as death opens its jaws to swallow him, even then he trusts God. Even then his words are used to pray to God. Let us pause to reflect and to pray. Finally, let us respond. Bow down in worship and look up in trust.
And we read these words, we are reading the experience of Jesus and we should metaphorically take off our shoes for we are on holy ground. We are learning what it felt like for him to kneel alone in the garden the night before he died. As the awful dread of of what was to happen began to engulf him, what it felt like for him to see his closest friends and companions, people he was about to die to save, reject, desert, abandon him. What it felt like for him who used his power to, to save and to heal, be beaten to a bloody pulp and flogged by a baying mob of Roman soldiers. What it felt like for him to stagger up the hill of Golgotha, bearing that cross, with the filth, the corruption, the wickedness of human sin weighing down, pressing in upon him with every agonised step. What it felt like for him to be hated, mocked and spat on by those he created, he loved, he longed to save. What it felt like to be nailed to a cruel wooden cross through hands and feet and hauled up to die in naked shame and physical agony. What it felt like for him who'd only known his father's delight and joy for all eternity to look up to heaven and see only wrath and judgment pouring down upon him. Bowed down in worship at the one who endured all of that for you and me. Bow down in worship, but also look up in trust. This psalm, I think, helps us to trust God better with two things in particular, forgiveness and love. It helps us to trust that God has forgiven us if we trust in Jesus and that God loves us. Let me show you how. First is forgiveness. I do think that there is something particularly helpful in reading this psalm, something, in fact, that I don't think we get just from reading the gospel accounts of the death of Jesus or learning about the doctrine of forgiveness at the cross through, in particular, Paul's letters in the New Testament. Something that that deepens our assurance of the forgiveness that we have through Jesus Christ. How How does this psalm help us? Well, I think it helps us because, perhaps more than anywhere else in Scripture, we see the awfulness of his death on the cross here in these words. And that helps us because I guess, like all of us, I sometimes worry about whether I really am forgiven. There are times when when we shock ourselves with just the, the depravity, the filth of what comes out of our hearts or the hardened rebelliousness of what I decide, I don't care, I'm just going to do it, or just the callous lovelessness that's still inside me. And we worry that my sins are far too great for for the death of just one man to to deal with everything. And so we fear that that maybe his death wasn't enough, maybe maybe I'm not going to be forgiven at the end, maybe my sins will eventually outweigh his death and I'll be condemned by God. But then you look at Psalm 22. Does that sound like a a half measure? Does that sound like anything was left unpunished? Does that sound like any part of the curse was not fully endured by Jesus Christ? In the horror of the cross opened in this psalm, we're assured that Jesus' death was full punishment, full payment, full judgment. 
and therefore it must be for you and for me full forgiveness. That offer of forgiveness is open to anyone and everyone. Put your trust in Jesus Christ today and full forgiveness is yours. Second, and I'll close with this, we see more than just our forgiveness. We also see his love. All that he endured, all that he suffered. Why? It wasn't that his strength was too weak to resist what others were doing to him. It was that his love was so great that he was willing to endure anything and everything for you. He was willing to endure hell so that you could be with him forever in heaven. Look at the cross and know for certain that God loves you. Let us pause to reflect one last time. Well, that's the end of our Good Friday meditation together. But do join us on Easter Sunday at 10.15am and 6pm as we celebrate the dawning of solid hope the down payment for eternal glory, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to eternal, unbreakable, bodily new life. As we close, let's pray together the words of 1 Peter 3.18. They'll appear on the screen so we can pray them all together as a church. Words which remind us of the victory which Jesus Christ won on the cross, which remind us why this is Good Friday. Because Jesus died, we can spend the rest of today and tomorrow and forever in the presence of the Holy God, enjoying his pleasure, his joy and his delight. Together we pray. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Amen.